Hello, welcome to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Each episode, we bring you a conversation with leaders across the healthcare industry, exploring topics ranging from new treatment techniques and interventions to novel service delivery methods and business models. And now your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, a leader in patient engagement and retention strategy. Let's explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Well, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Better Outcomes Show. I'm your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions. And it is one of those days, let me tell you. <laughs> Ever feel like you're going to fall asleep sitting up? That's basically where I'm at right now. Just, <laughs> just got the first round of edits back from the publisher for the book, The uh, Better Outcomes, A Guide to Humanizing Healthcare. Available, available for pre-order now on Amazon. There's the shameless plug. But anyways, so got this thing back um, and they wanted all of the my input on the edits and the, the copy edits and all that, make sure that everything was edited correctly and the changes that were made didn't alter the intent of sentences and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, sure, I'll knock that out in like you know a couple days, no big deal. And uh, of course, procrastinated until <laughs> it was due tomorrow at the time of this recording. So I'm like, up at up at night reading through everything making my comments being like man this is anyways so now I, look, I feel like i've been staring at a computer screen for you know 36 hours so i'm just like zoned out anyways hopefully <laughs> hopefully we can keep it together at least for the intro here so this week i'm excited to bring to you an interview that i did with uh, steve albanese he's a co-founder of access pt and wellness um they're based up in the Northeast and they've got 55 locations and they've actually grown really tremendously. And I, I wanted to have a conversation with him because we had had a, a conversation previously just kind of off the books talking about this, that and the other life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. <laughs> and I really liked uh, Steve's ideas and philosophy about growing and scaling a practice while maintaining human connection. So whenever we think about healthcare in general, you know, this is this is the subject of, of, of my book, right? Like we lose that human connection, not just between the clinician and the patient or the client, but also among the, the staff and the, the clinicians and the colleagues at the organization, right? The 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 larger you expand, the greater your, your geographical footprint or the number of bodies you've got in the office, there's naturally a, a removal that happens from the organizational leadership and the, the boots on the ground clinicians, if you would, right? I know you've been, you, maybe you've been in this situation. I know I was for sure as a clinician and then a, a uh, clinic lead at the Department of Veterans Affairs that all of these decisions were being made and mandates were being handed down and new policies and procedures. But because the organization was so huge, I mean, the, the VA was a obviously a national organization is being run at the federal level. There was not a whole lot of human connection between the leadership at the at the individual clinics or at the the, that regional location. So our hospital was actually two facilities that was technically one hospital. So even there, there was like a removal of, of human connection between 
the leader at this one facility or this one, um, yeah, it was one one hospital. There was two facilities, and the the managers they were having to make these decisions, right? So how do you scale a small practice? Maybe you start out and it's just you and it's um, you and an assistant or maybe you and another clinician and an, a, an admin staff or two. But as you begin adding body count to the organization, I mean, you can talk about whether or not that's even necessary uh, at some point, but that's a discussion for another day. But if you're adding personnel to an organization, sooner or later, you're going to have to put some kind of middle management layer in place, right? There's going to have to be somebody that is then filtering, receiving the input or the messaging from you and then filtering it and disseminating that down to their subordinates. And there can always be, that's just a, a ripe opportunity for either abstractions or distractions or um, just a breakdown in communication. Maybe where boots on the ground clinicians don't see why a certain decision is a certain way or you know, what a, a policy is in place that maybe that should or shouldn't be in place. Or maybe it doesn't work the other way. Maybe the clinicians are seeing an issue and know that this one policy could be tweaked a little bit and it would streamline efficiency for you know the front office staff and the clinicians and improve the patient experience but because there's another layer of bureaucracy it's just more difficult for those recommendations or the, that feedback to make its way back up the chain where it can be affected right and i'm sure you've read leadership books all over the place to talk about you know commander's intent and uh, empowering individuals and and leadership teams to make decisions over their own areas, right? And things like that. So it's an interesting topic to think about. Um, and I, I just liked Steve's input in it <laughs> onto the topic of, you know, they went from one facility um, and their story is kind of unique too. I, I, I'm excited to share that with you. So it's a, a team of brothers and their their spouses, both their, both their wives are PTs and they are both PTs. So they have four PTs, they started this clinic um, and then they kind of grew from one clinic to 55. And Steve and I had this conversation about how you grow a clinic or add personnel, expand if you would, in a way that maintains human connection at all levels of the organization. And I'm sure just listening to, to what he's got to say on the subject that you can hopefully glean a few things that you can take back to your organization. Because, you know, for the most part, when you think about the, the type of clinician that gets involved in private practice, some really have visions for expansion and growth and turning into this you know, more, uh, more complex organization with multiple locations and multiple people and layers of management. Many private practice owners or clinicians that have, have gone into practice themselves really have no, or at least the ones that I've spoken to, really have no intention of growing this multi-million dollar giant you know conglomerate organization with tons and tons of locations and tons of personnel um, but they do want to grow some <laughs> and how how do you grow if it's just if the if the long-term plan was always going to be this was going to be my job is my calling to be a clinician and this practice is the method through which i live out my calling um, that still involves putting systems in place and people in place that will ev eventually carry on that message and the vision that you had when you started the for the, the organization to new staff or new patients or clients and all of that. So um, without further ado, here's Steve Albanese talking with me about 
scaling and keeping human connection. Well, hey, Steve, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast, Rafi. Yeah, and thanks. Thanks for being here. Yeah, of course. Um, I want to talk with you about you know scaling your business, how you went from like a, a small family shop to a very large clinic with 50 locations while maintaining that human connection. But before we dive into that, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of that career path that led you from clinician to starting this this practice? Be happy to. So Myself, my brother, both of our wives are all physical therapists. We started our practice about 19 years ago in small town upstate New York. And, you know, for us, it was about we're all in different practice settings and we just wanted something different, something better for our patients, for our team members and for uh, the healthcare system we were a part of. So we're all very different people, which uh, has been very good. And it's also been challenging. <laughs> at some degree. Um, but I think it's been one of our success factors. So early on, our wives kept their jobs at local hospitals when Chris and I started uh, this new venture. So we were all fairly young in our upper 20s. Um, <clears throat> when Chris and I took that leap, you know, we had to make it work. Uh, looking back, it was fun. It was exciting. It was scary. Um, but it was also such a rewarding time uh, for us as a, as a practice and as, uh, as physical therapists. Fast forward now, uh, 19, year late, 19 years later, we have about 55 outpatient sites, work with a few hospitals managing their rehab. Uh, work with some population health initiatives, value-based payments. Uh, and that all began about 10 years ago. I was asked to be on a board of one of the local hospitals, uh, head of the quality committee. It really got to look at from an, that perspective, the role that rehab can play in providing better outcomes, uh, lower costs, better patient experience. And so it's been super exciting to see things from a couple different angles on how rehab can be more impactful. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's exciting to hear stories like that. So when you and, and your brother started this business, I mean, it was basically you and your family. Did you have this vision of like this, you know, you said it yourself, 55 plus locations, team members all over the place, or was it kind of one of those, like just one foot in front of the other and it kind of slowly grew? Yeah. You know, it was really the the one foot in front of the other. In the beginning, you know, we, we really, it, we were so focused on and excited about the one location and we grew pretty quickly and it was just a ton of adrenaline and caffeine and, you know, so <laughs> many fun opportunities and, you know, the opportunity to have people join our team that had similar values and, you know, wanted to go in a similar direction. So, you know, really we did not have a vision for where we wanted the company to go. Um, but we did know what we wanted to do. We wanted to just have, again, that place where patients come, they expect their shoulder to feel better. They expect their back to feel better. But, you know, what we saw is that sometimes they didn't expect those other non-clinical success factors. So, you know, at time, really good eye contact and a nice handshake and feeling welcomed and listened to and cared for, you know, so I think those things we really focused on tremendously. We tried to map out as much as possible. Um, how can we make sure that happens at every visit, every interaction? And so we focused on that, but we, we did not have that long-term strategy of where we wanted to go. Yeah. Well, and last time we talked, you told me the story about your first out of state location. Tell me about how that happened and kind of the, the, the situation behind it, because it, it's a pretty interesting tale. <laughs> yeah. So our, so yeah, we have the one location upstate New York, uh, we had patients traveling about 30 miles from uh, the Western part of New York that they wanted us to open up a location there. So we did a little test pilot, open up in a senior center. It seemed to work well. And then we were beginning to build out a brand new site. And for us, this was a huge step. And right around that time, the first therapist we hired, who was going to be the director of our first site, 
he said uh, his wife had got laid off and they're moving to North Carolina. And so, you know, we were definitely a little bit bummed, um, but he was a great guy, great, great clinician and good culture fit. And we stayed in touch with him. And about six months late, six months later, we decided to open up a uh, practice together outside uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. So, you know, none of us went to business school, probably having two locations in New York and one in North Carolina wasn't the best uh, business <laughs> decision, but it, it was, it was fun. It was exciting. And he was the right person. It was the right culture fit. And, and we knew we could replicate for the most part, what we were doing in New York, which was successful. Um, and so we gave it a shot. Yeah. Yeah. And you brought, you said it several times already, like he was a good culture fit. This is a good culture. So particularly as you're expanding or as you're growing, like what are those major challenges a practice might encounter from a cultural or an organizational perspective, like as you begin adding locations, adding team members, all of that kind of stuff. You know, I was at a conference recently and the professor, he made a comment. He said, a great culture will compensate for a bad strategy. And I think that's what we, that's what made us work in the beginning. You know, we did not have a good strategy, but we really had that right culture, um, which was important. So you know, as with everything, we're very much a people business. And so having the right people is so important. But luckily for us in healthcare, they're really good people in healthcare. And so good people want to do the right thing. And so it wasn't that hard finding the right people. You know, for us, it was more so making sure we had the or created the environment for them to do the work that they knew they should do for their patients and for each other, for their team. And so making sure whether it's scheduling, they have the tools and training they need to do their jobs well. Like that was the important thing for us in making sure that it was the, the right people able to do the right thing that they knew was best for their patients and for each other. Yeah. So you weren't doing a whole lot of excessive management, right? At these new locations, was it more autonomous? The, the clinic directors had a little bit more leeway in what they did and didn't do, or did you kind of have like have the, the overarching mission, vision values and then go forth and do good work? Yeah. You know, we probably should have done that, but initially <laughs> with we, uh, we thought, you know, just having the right people would do the right thing. And so, and for the most part, that does work out. We've since learned that it's good to give some structure as well. So I think the, the best of both worlds makes more sense. And so, you know, now we think about it where, let's say you have our, our vision, our values, and almost like a values funnel where, you know, if I'm trying to make a decision and it goes through each one of our values, almost looking like a funnel, do you say, yes, 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 you check the boxes for each one of them, then yes, it's the right decision, you know, if it's the right strategically, it's the right according to values as well. And so we try and give some guardrails as far as what, what does make sense and not micromanage. Um, but again, making sure you have the best interest of the team members, of the patient, of the organization, that, that it works. I was actually at a, so we live pretty close to West Point. And so I was at a conference with one of the um, colonels there, and he was saying that he had given out what he called like this yes card uh, to his, his team. And so you know, I guess he was kind of tired of people coming and asking a bunch of questions that maybe they shouldn't know the answer to. Um, so it's it's something like, you know, does this fall in line with the vision of the company? And this is us as we modified it a bit. Fall in line with the vision of the company. Does it fall in line with the values of the organization? Is it the right thing for the patient, for the team member, for the organization? And are you willing to be held accountable to the, you know, to the um, to the result? And so if everything says yes, then just do it. And that's why you're on the that's why you're in the position. To make those decisions so we try and make sure we have our team members have the right training but then also give them the leeway to do their jobs well yeah i think uh chip and dan heath wrote in one of their books i can't remember which one maybe it was made to stick or um made to stick or switch i can't remember but he talks a lot about 
the commander's intent, right? Like on a, on a battlefield yes. when you're, when you have the army moving around, sometimes you might have it in a certain way. Like this is the procedure that we do, but obviously like in the, in the heat of battle, you can't always follow the procedures. So the, the guiding principle there is you just follow the commander's intent. This is our mission. So however we, you know, like you said, your funnel, it's checking. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. It falls within our mission. It falls within our values. And it's also kind of moving towards this commander's intent so we can do it. Right. Same, exactly. same basic principle, right? That's perfect. Yes. Cool deal. So we've mentioned it a few times and I think I can't remember this is the, the first time we talked the second or whatever, but you, you talked a lot about one, the culture, obviously we, we've just talked about the, the vision, the values and all that, but how do you maintain that personal touch, not just with uh, the patients or the clients that are coming into the clinic, but as you're adding team members, right? You're adding this, this next layer of maybe middle management staff and then direct boots on the ground. It's not like your first 10 employees that they see you every day in the office and, and, you know, they know what, you know, Steve thinks about this type of decision or this, this part of the values for, for active PT, like, how do you keep that in line or at least consistent as the team grows and grows and grows and you have layers of management and, and other staff that have maybe even never met you or don't have a lot of face time with you? And, and that was such a hard challenge for myself, especially, uh, I like to lead by example. And as like you said, as you got removed physically from people, it's harder and harder to do that. And so, you know, communication has been so important. Bringing on, the, again, the right people who are like, like how you want it to be and who then lead by example are so important as well. Um, we've in, since instilled so different models of management. So one that we're doing now is this EOS model. And so I think oh. any kind of model like that just brings in some structure, brings in some accountability, clearer communication, uh, clear visibility into what's important, what's expected, how we can help and where things may be going wrong. And so, but also just make sure being in touch with your team is so important, uh, connecting with them, making sure to understand, again, what are the barriers? What are the challenges? Uh, talk to our leadership team a lot about just, you know, our job is to make sure we remove barriers for our team members to do their jobs really well. And so if a therapist can't spend the time they want to spend with their patient or the EMR is getting in the way or whatever it might be, how can we remove the barriers for them to do their jobs really well? And so making sure we keep getting that feedback is so important. And then really listening to what are the challenges and what are the problems? And so like we do a ton of surveys through EMR and otherwise for our patients, you know, which uh, is so important. A lot of practices do, but then making sure like anyone, any problem that comes up is, is, is great. Like we love to see some of these issues come up because then we can solve around it. And so you know, then I can connect with a team member and say, hey, listen, this came up, what can I do? Like, how can I help support you better so that, you know, we can provide Mrs. Smith with a better experience so this doesn't happen again. And so and I think as we work through business problems, solutions, um, that helps to build rapport and connection as well. And, and then we looked at too, as far as connecting with our, our team members, we tried to put in a the plan in place. So like, what do we want the experience for our patients to be? And so one thing we did early on was to map out uh, every touch point that a patient had with our organization and then things around what could happen, what should happen there, um, what could go wrong so we can train around it, you know, given the opportunity, how can we go above and beyond and stuff like that to make sure that people just have a general framework to think about. And then from there, you do the right thing at every interaction. Yeah. Yeah. And so you mentioned EOS a little bit. Explain that for, yeah. for those that might not know it. 
yeah, it's an so, interesting uh, concept. <laughs> it is. So there's again, there's a bunch of stuff out there that businesses can use to organize. Um, so EOS is the entrepreneur operating system. Uh, book traction has been great. So a way to yeah. kind of think through uh, some of this. And so, you know, for us, there's there's some key principles around it. And so for one is this accountability chart or like an org chart. Um, but one of the differences is that in each one of the boxes, uh, it really looks at like what are the responsibilities of each one of those boxes, each one of them, that facets of the company. And so, you know, we found even just putting that together, that there are just things that were missing that were like, that's probably an important part of the business, but yet it's not in a box. Like we need to yeah. make sure that we have someone that one is in charge of it, but two, that we put resources towards it that may not have been there. And so it's been, and then even looking at processes. And so like I love as we've grown, like how can we make a process better or easier? Because I think that us as a company, we've put processes in place. We probably haven't taken them away um, yeah. <laughs> over the years. And so, you know, once you look back and say, all right, when a patient, here's the intake process and you actually map it out, maybe there's six steps. You're like, why are we even doing two and four? Like we can automate four, get rid of two, and we can make three a little bit easier. So, you know, for us, mapping out the process has been super helpful and important just so we're all on the same page of what they are. And again, how can we make the job easier of our team members so that they can care for our patients uh, a little bit easier? So it's been, it's been a good overall uh, tool for us. Yeah. Intake is a, is a funny one. We, we just made a change at the clinic I'm at. Like we just decided to move towards hundred percent digital intake because it's just, it's easier for everybody. It can be automated. Right. And our, about a week or two afterwards, I was talking to my front office staff about it. And I said, so how's it going? They're like, it's amazing. I don't even have to like send an email or anything. It just automatically happens. The patient fills it out and we have it before the appointment. It's awesome. You know, like one little step took away like three, three bits of work that we had to do. <laughs> it's so good. And for us, we, we had, let's say a few people that thought the process was a little bit different. So everyone was on a little bit oh, of a yeah. different page. And so even just mapping it out and make sure, yeah, we're all on the same page. And like you said, is there something we can automate to make it easier? Um, there's no sense doing something well that doesn't have to be done at all. And so if you can remove <laughs> a step there, that's great. Makes it easier for the patient, better for our team. So, yeah, that's awesome. Um, anything else you'd like to add just about kind of scaling and growing? Like what are the, I'm thinking like, so the, mo the majority of the people that at least that reach out to me that listen to the show are independent clinic owners. Maybe they, maybe they have, you know, three, four locations, but they're not at the scale of 50 plus and they're looking at, okay, these are the systems I have in place now. And maybe they have a vision to get up to 50 or, or, or something like that. Like what are the big, I don't know, roadblocks that might be in their way from an organizational, like a culture standpoint that they, they probably should think about addressing before they start maybe acquiring or growing or, or trying to expand, you know, kind of get, get this in order before you start building on it. Right. You know, for, for us, I think that the, the really the, like to nail down your processes and make sure one, you have them documented. Cause I think, I think once you're documented, you can then better examine them and say, all right, is this the right process? Is this the best thing for our patients, for our team and going forward? So I think that is once you have a, a solid foundation, it's much easier to scale than that, that proven process. Um, and then in, in the midst of that, like we really look at, like, I love our first office at my desk was right next to our, what we call customer service specialist. And I love whenever she had said no, you know, I'm like, you know, Cindy, what, what were they asking? You know, what were they asking of us that we couldn't do or we didn't perform? And so making sure that we knew what the 
what our customers were asking for, what our, our team members or you know, potential team members are asking for, what are we not able to provide or not providing that may make sense. And so, you know, really understanding what's the need of the community out there. And then when we looked at a process that something that something went wrong, you know, the typical like the five whys. And so, you know, ask why five times to get to the root cause of why did something go wrong? Because we've had locations where we really didn't do that well. And we assumed the problem was something else. And meanwhile, it was it was X, but we were looking at something more superficial. Um, not enough new patients. We were thinking it's, we weren't doing enough marketing, but there was a root cause of that, you know, which may have been something else. And so yeah. I think really understanding as we go through our processes, like the five whys for that root cause understanding of what is the issue, then how can we solve it? And like going back to the EOS model, they do the IDS. So uh -huh. really like, you know, if you have a half an hour discuss an issue, 25 minutes could be like, what is the true issue that we're trying to solve? You know, and then the solution is much easier after that. Yeah. Awesome. Cool deal. Um, well, so I, I always end with this. If there's just one or two main points you'd want a listener of the show to walk away with, what would they be in regards to this idea of kind of scaling and keeping culture and making it sustain, sustainable growth, right? So there's a, so two quotes, which I love to talk to my kids about and I look at every day. Um, so I'd love to share those. If that's yeah, okay. absolutely. I think, I think ties in. So first, the game is won when no one's watching. Um, and I think as it relates to, let's say, my kids, when I talk to them, before they step on that soccer field or they take the test, they should know how they're going to do based on the prep, the work they put into it, um, and the diligence going in before the game. And so same thing with, with work. So before we're going to open a new location, we're going to bring on a new team member. Have we done the work ahead of time to prepare training for the new team member, the diligence on the new location, talking to physicians? engaging with the community is this a true service or a need in the community that we want to provide and is this going to be a good fit um we've done the opposite and it hasn't worked out well and we've done it where we really put the work in and it's been great and so really that again the game is one when no one's watching love it it can apply to a ton of different things second is hard choices easy life and the converse so easy <laughs> choices hard life and so again in talking to my kids about whether it's nutrition exercise studying, whatever it might be, make the hard choice, you know, think about what's the end result that we want to get to. And then most likely the right choice is the hard choice. That's going to get you a better result afterwards. And then as a professional, you know, taking that extra course, spending the extra time with new team members for training, for making sure they have the tools they need to do their jobs well, or have those hard conversations when you need to. It's, it's pretty easy to kick the can down the road and not address a situation. But if you're looking to grow and scale in a meaningful way, and there's something that's not quite right, either with a process, a team member, um, or something else in the organization, making the easy choice of picking the can is not going to, again, we've done that before, and it just makes things so much harder down the road. But making the hard choice, you know, eat that frog, uh, whatever you want to call yeah. it, doing that initially <laughs> is, it's going to, you know, be so much more fruitful uh, going forward. Again, it's the right thing to do. And it's also going to make things in the future a whole lot better and easier. Yeah. Well, Steve, thanks so much. If people want to find out more about you, about your work, about the clinic practice, where can they find you? Yeah. So my email, uh, s.albanese at accessptw.com, uh, our website, uh, accessptw.com, and uh, LinkedIn, I'm there as well. The other social media places, uh, not yeah. as active. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if, again, healthcare, 
it's super important, but it's also can be really hard. And so, you know, like we talked to our team members about just making sure be there for each other so we can be there for our patients. Yeah. Um, and I think that healthcare in general is just a really good supportive community. Um, so I think reach out to anyone in your network, to myself or anyone else, if anyone's having challenges, because again, so much great work that we do, but it, it can be hard at times. So make sure you have that support system. All right. Well, thanks so much. Have a good one. Wrap for you as well. Thank you so much. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Steve talking about scaling an organization while maintaining human connections. Listening back again now to the conversation a second time and kind of gleaning what, you know, what I, my main takeaways would be. I, I really liked, I'm a big fan of short quotes that contain a lot of wisdom. <laughs> and Steve laid two of them there at the very end of the episode, which I think are great. In fact, I've started saying them to my kids now. <laughs> um, but that first one, that hard choices, easy life, easy choices, hard life. When you think about or at least when I think about the difficult decisions I've had to make and have not made for whatever reason, maybe I, I didn't want to have a, that difficult conversation or that uncomfortable moment or whatever it was. And then that the decision ultimately ends up being made for you. So I'm thinking specifically about a team member that we had here at the clinic that I purchased. And, you know, I knew from the beginning, maybe very early on that there was something off. I couldn't really put my finger on it, but there was just something off. They weren't a cultural fit. And, and there was just, there were just a couple things. They weren't ever like super big red flags. I wasn't like, oh my goodness, this, we got to get rid of this person. But there was something off, right? And instead of addressing it and taking the time very early on to be like, to have the, just an uncomfortable conversation of saying, hey, this is what I'm noticing. This is what it appears to me. This is what it makes the other team members feel like. We need to figure this out. Um, you know, this was early on in my business ownership uh, career here. So I've, I've been a consultant for years, but have not, um, and I've had to work on the, you know, manage, manage teams at the Department of Veterans Affairs and had to go through the process of performance improvement plans and this, that, and the other. And it's one thing to, to make a decision to let somebody go or to have those conversations because there's a performance issue, right? Like that's very easy, okay? You're, you know, the expectation is X, Y, Z and you are not meeting that, so let's put you on a plan to, to get there, right? So that we don't have to remove you from the organization or remove you from the team or whatever it is. But when it's something more subjective, like cultural fit or personality or you know, whatever it happens to be, it becomes a lot harder of a decision, right? Because then it it almost feels like there's something non-objective and maybe there is something more subjective about that type of interchange, right? It's no longer, these are some key metrics that you're not meeting and we, we need to make sure that you meet them. This is more of your team members don't like working with you <laughs> or, have, or having these issues and we need to address it. So because of that, I was obviously, I've been... A, uh, a consultant for years, managed people at the VA for years, and it was just a different ball game when it was my clinic. And it was, it like I said, it wasn't a performance issue, so to speak, in the sense of key metrics and uh, K KPIs and benchmarks and all that. It was something much more subjective. And, you know, I ad admittedly kicked the can down the road a little bit because I was trying to figure out, well, I don't want this 
we just hired this person. I don't want this to turn into like put a bad taste in their mouth or whatever. And we need the person here to, to see patients <laughs> and all of that. And it ended up being one of those t- horrible situations. I know it was, it was not good for the, for the individual and it was not good for our team in the long run. And we, the person ended up leaving the team. And I think back to that situation and think like how much of that could have been avoided by just having an uncomfortable conversation up front, by caring enough about that team member to have that conversation that was definitely going to be awkward. (laughs) It was definitely going to be awkward and uncomfortable. Um, But having it early on, because then it establishes and sets the tone for the relationship going forward. Because instead of now having a situation where this might have been an issue up front. It might have been recognized up front, but now it's been six months, seven months. You haven't said anything about it. And now all of a sudden it's a big deal because there's, you know, resentment is built up or it's frustration is built up. And then something happens. It's like the straw that breaks the camel's back. And this employee or this team member gets blindsided. I didn't know this was an issue. Why didn't you tell it to me, you know, right away? Um, so that's one of those, like when he said that, I was like, man, I thought right back to this, that situation was like, I definitely have failed in that area before. So I encourage you, if you need to have an awkward or a difficult conversation, um, have one. <laughs> it's very uncomfortable in the moment, but in the long run, I'm, it saves a lot of heartache and, uh, and trouble. And then the other quote that he, uh, that he said right at the end too is the, that whole piece about the game is won when no one's looking. And again, that just speaks to character and the way we conduct ourselves as clinicians, as business owners, as professionals. When when we can get away with making an unethical decision, right? <laughs> not that there's, um, not that any of you are thinking about doing unethical things, but there are times where you can, again, maybe it's that easy, hard decision piece where no one's looking and no one would, no one would be the wiser if you made the easy decision, right? Instead of a difficult decision that might have you know, put more work on you or, or whatever, it, whatever the, the case may be. You combine those two, those two ideas, the idea that you need to make hard decisions in order to make your life easier down the line. And then the game is won when no one's looking so that you even need to make those difficult decisions when you can get away with not making those difficult decisions. Um, and I think that's the, the recipe for just great, a great career as a clinician, as a professional, as a practice owner, business administrator, whatever you want it, whatever your role is in healthcare. Um, I think a lot of good would come from focusing on those two things, on making the hard decisions and then um, conducting ourselves in a way. I always think about this when I'm making decisions or writing reports or, or doing whatever, either for clients or for patients or about the clinic here. I always think about conducting myself in a way, and um, actually, this is this is very similar to like documentation and things like that. So when I was first a clinician, a young clinician, we had a deficiency-free survey at the skilled nursing facility that I was with uh, as the occupational therapist for the staff clinician. I was the only occupational therapist. We had two facilities, a whole ton of beds. I think we had three or four. Um, a full-time assistance, and then a lot of uh, OTAs that I was in charge of that I kind of was managing all their caseload, right? So we had a deficiency-free survey, and I was like, oh, man, that's wonderful. And the rehab director was like, no, it's not. <laughs> About two weeks later, a bunch of suits from CMS came, and 
they followed my assistants and myself around with stopwatches for an entire day. Um, every single treatment, every single evaluation, every single interaction or engagement we had with a, a client in the facility, they were there stopwatching or timing us with a stopwatch to make sure that our documentation was correct, that we hadn't, uh, you know, that we weren't unethically billing or, or documenting for time that shouldn't have been you know, billing for time that we weren't spending with patients, all of that kind of stuff. So apparently my, the naive uh, new grad that I was, I thought a deficiency-free survey was like, all right, we're all good. It means we're doing everything's above board, but it really triggers a deeper level audit. <laughs> so anyways, these, these suits followed us around and were basically timing us with a stopwatch for every single patient that we saw. And that happened very, very early on in my career, but it left an impression on me. And what I told uh, subordinates when I was at the VA and what I tell clinicians now at the, at the clinic that I work with and, and clients when I work with them through Rehab U is you want to conduct yourself as if there was somebody in the corner with a stopwatch. Not because you're afraid of getting in trouble, but because that level of oversight or feeling that you have that level of oversight forces you to make decisions that are in the long term, those hard decisions. They might be better for the organization long term. They might be better for you and your career in the long term. Um, and it negates or it it is a defense against any kind of those ethical gray areas that we might run into. Specifically, you know, I use this example a lot with documentation and billing, right? Like, uh, was it really this many minutes or, or that many and all of that? So I always say, imagine that there's somebody in the corner with a stopwatch. And that's the way I've tried to live my clinical life and professional life since, since that incident. <laughs> I always think, man, when I'm making this decision or I'm putting this procedure together, this policy or the system, I envision somebody in the background or in the corner of the room observing because that's, it keeps me in check. You know, would I be would I be okay making this decision and making it publicly in a way that that everyone can have scrutiny or can scrutinize that decision? Not that that's always appropriate, right? But at least if you have to think about how you would defend that decision, it helps you really quickly and immediately root out those decisions that you just don't need to make, right? <laughs> right. So, anyways, that's all I've got today on this episode. If you enjoy the show, head on over to uh, iTunes, leave us a rating and review. If you want to learn more about the book, Better Outcomes, A Guide to Humanizing Healthcare, head on over to www.rehabupracticesolutions.com and click the tab for books. Um, you can see the little synopsis about the book. It'll link to Amazon where it's available for pre-order. They're telling me that the physical copy of the book and the Kindle copy of the book will be available uh, that first week in October of 2022. So, yeah, there's that if you wanted to, to read the stories <laughs> from from clinical past. But the, the idea of the book, really, the reason I wrote it was that I feel very strongly that healthcare is a human experience. It is one person that is skilled in the art of healing, that's us, the clinician, helping another person who is the patient or the client on their own unique road to recovery. And just viewing healthcare through that lens where it is a human experience, where it's more of, it's more than simply a transactional relationship where somebody's buying widgets from us or buying a product, 
You know, they're, they are investing their time, their energy, and their effort in their own health. And we are their guides. We as clinicians and organizations are their guides and assistance in helping them achieve those goals. So that way of looking at healthcare really changes or should change the way we think about those interactions and those engagements. So the, the entire book is really about the eight commitments, as I see them anyways, that healthcare organizations and clinicians need to make both at an organizational and an individual level to improve both long-term clinical outcomes and business metrics, right? Because if you do what's good for the patient or what's right for the patient, the just decision, if you would, ultimately you end up with improvements in all of those metrics, right? The clinical outcomes by, you know, if you make the best appropriate, the most appropriate clinical decision, you're gonna end up with with better clinical outcomes. And then also from a business standpoint, uh, if you make decisions that are best for your clients, for your clientele, they're gonna tell their friends about you, they're going to show back up to their appointments, whatever the case may be, and it will lead to business success as well. So that's the idea behind the book. Again, you can find that at www.rehabupracticesolutions.com slash books, or just go to the website and click the tab for books, um, and you can read more and learn more about the book there. If you are a healthcare practice owner, administrator, manager, you work at a healthcare system in administration, and you want to put together a plan and a strategy to improve human connection at your organization, to improve that patient engagement and experience, then check out uh, the Ultimate Patient Experience Blueprint, where we help you develop those systems, put those processes in place to deliver outstanding patient experiences at your organization. You can find that at www dot rehabupracticesolutions.com slash U-P-E for ultimate patient experience. So that's rehabupracticesolutions.com slash U-P-E. All right. Until the next time, folks, be safe, be healthy. I will talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Our hope is that you walk away from each episode informed, equipped, and empowered to push the boundaries in your own practice or business. We want to give you the tools to help you build strong, long-lasting relationships with your patients and clients, helping meet their goals, improve their health, and achieve better outcomes. Learn more at www.rehabupracticesolutions.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.